1: All right, well, I'm entering the maze, and so far it is a pile of rocks to my right and a bunch of pine bushes, I guess, to my left. Okay, so immediately there's Over the summer, I
0: dragged my close friend, writer Sarah Faith Alterman, on a trip to Gretna Green. It's the small parish on the border of Scotland and England, and it's famous for weddings. The history goes like this. In the mid-18th century, England made it illegal for young people to get married without permission. So all of these couples under 21 ran over the border and got hitched. Sometimes their parents were chasing after them. Think of it like Vegas, but instead of seeing chapels under neon lights, there's an old blacksmith shop next to a field of cows. Nearly three centuries later, Gretna Green is still a wedding destination. People come from all over to say their vows. The day that Sarah and I visited, there were seven weddings, and it was a Tuesday. There's this outdoor attraction at Gretna Green called the Courtship Maze. Basically, you and your betrothed enter from separate sides and try to find each other in the middle. My friend Sarah is happily married, but we still wanted to take this journey together as friends. It's actually kind of challenging. You can't see over the green hedges, and there are barriers along the way. There are also these little signs with quotes about love.
1: Here's another quote on the wall. It says, you come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing an imperfect
0: person perfectly. I feel that way about my own marriage. Gretna Green, the perfect vacation destination for a relationship columnist like me. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Welcome to Season 3. I'm so glad to be back and so glad to have you back. If you listened to last season, you know we followed a single woman named Erin through the trenches of dating. There were ups and downs, good dates and really bad dates. I tried to be a good wing woman. Erin's doing well, by the way. She's currently single and still beautiful and hilarious, for those who are wondering. This season, we have a lot of great stories for you. About those times when you feel your heart, your mind and your gut tug at you. When you have to make a decision. It's about those moments of knowing and not knowing. Our question for season three is, how do you know? This is a really common question I get in my column. And like all the questions on this show, it's really hard to answer. We'll get to why, but first, I need to find Sarah in this maze. So that's a dead end, so I'm
1: going to turn around and go back this other way. And it's very nice in here. I mean, it definitely feels a little shining-ish, like maybe someone's chasing me with an axe. But
0: so far, I am safe. Clearly, this maze is a field-sized metaphor. There are dead ends that force you to start over. Every now and then, there are holes in the shrubbery, so you can catch glimpses of your partner, maybe help them, maybe pass them by. It's kind of like life. You have to make all these decisions about relationships without the benefit of a nope. bird's-eye view.
1: Oh, wait, nope. <laughs> I found, I hit a dead end, and I found a door, and I thought, aha, and I pulled it, and it's chained closed. So, absolutely the wrong way.
0: Sometimes you have Going to figure back things back, out on your own.
1: sort of winding around here, and I can't see Meredith or really anybody else. Um, so it's sort of like a lonely maze. Okay, oh, I see Meredith. I see you! Hello! She, she committed to the racing. She's made it to the bridge that's sort of in the center.
0: And this is when I realized how differently we approached this experience. Sarah takes her time enjoying the twists and turns. I, for some reason, decide to race through the maze trying to get to the center as fast as I can. And when I get there, I stand on a high platform and start yelling to her, giving her directions. I guess that's my relationship style. I'll get there first and then tell you what to do.
1: So this is part of the relationship, the trust building, right? Is you can tell me where to go? I almost feel like you should have to do this kind of thing before you get married just to see what your communication styles are like and if you're able to help each other
0: without getting frustrated. Okay, so now I'm going out and around. After the, so the trip, I started together. to think about of all of the people who asked me about intuition, how to get it and how to trust it. How do you know when to move in with someone, for instance? Or how do you know when to get married or divorced? When do you combine bank accounts when do you say, I love you? Most of the time, they're asking how to know if it's forever. And when I get asked that question, I always think of two people who were able to follow their intuition. They didn't always feel it at the same time, but somehow they were able to meet in the middle.
2: Elizabeth McQueen. I'm a DJ and a podcast producer in Austin, Texas. And I am the mom to Liesl and Willow.
3: David Sanger. I'm a father, a brother. <laughs> I love her. I work as a drummer in a band, and uh, I'm a dad to two kids. That's what I do. We have been married for 15 years. It
2: sounds very stilted when you
3: say it. Is that all right? Is that all right, dear?
2: Maybe just use a contraction. It'd be okay.
3: We've been married 15 years.
2: (laughs) These pretzels are making me thirsty.
3: (laughs) We've been married
0: 15 years. That's a Seinfeld joke, by the way, if you're younger than, I don't know, me. Anyway, Elizabeth was one of my best friends in high school. When we were teenagers, our group of friends were very focused on our feminism. We called ourselves the Vaginal Pride Committee. Yes, there were t-shirts. When Elizabeth moved to Austin, Texas after college, met Dave, and decided to get married, she always knew she wanted to, I had a lot of questions about the relationship. Dave seemed nice enough, but he was a touring musician who'd spent years with many partners, never quite settling down. He was someone who'd long committed to a lack of commitment. So, like, how did he know he was suddenly capable? What had changed? So let's rewind. Sure. And we'll start at the beginning, when they first met in Austin, Texas. Dave's in a Grammy Award-winning Texas swing band called Asleep at the Wheel, They've toured with Willie Nelson, recorded with the Dixie Chicks. At 40, Dave likes his life on the road.
3: Then, this drummer walks into a bar. It was Ginny's Little Longhorn on Burnett Road in Austin. A cinder block shotgun building, you know, and Ginny makes uh, free hot dogs. And uh, it's like, it's like you know, you go and you have your dollar, paps Blue Ribbon. It's a tiny place. The owner hosts local games. He had a thing called Chicken Shit Bingo on Sundays where they have a chicken on a square uh, grid and people bet on where whether chicken's going to poop. If it poops on your number, you win all the pot. <laughs> it's that kind of place. <laughs> it's not very, uh, I don't know. Fancy. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a cute gal. I met her and uh, then started inquiring about her. At this point in his
0: life, Dave spends most of his days getting on a bus, driving for five or six hours, playing a show— Making a lot of new friends.
3: There there was a lot of carousing back in the day. Back in the day. Not any not anymore. <laughs> not no carousing anymore. But uh actually I joined the band when I was 25. And then from, you know, for about, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, I did pretty well. You know, I caroused pretty successfully back in those days. And there were some women who were interested in the drummer for Sleep of the Wheel.
0: But back to the honky-tonk bar, Ginny's. This cute girl, Elizabeth, is a singer who moved to Austin to start her music career. She's 16 years younger than Dave. She happens to be at the bar that night. They talk, and he is not incredibly smooth.
2: I went out to smoke a cigarette. I came back in, and Dave goes, So, I hear you're dating, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, you guys, you're as gossipy as a sewing circle.
0: The next time they see each other, Elizabeth is with a friend of hers named Andrew.
2: And the way he was acting towards Andrew and the things he said, it was like he was trying to big time him and like he was trying to outman him or something. And I I was really, I was very off put. So I was like, ugh, Dave Sanger,
0: like typical dude. But Dave doesn't know he's striking out. When he eventually runs into her again, she tells him she's going to be singing at the Carousel Lounge, another local joint. Dave plans on going. Key word, plans.
3: And I missed the gig. That's pretty classic me.
0: After that, the two of them kind of orbit each other's social circles for a little bit. Elizabeth eventually gives him her demo, and Dave eventually asks her out.
3: And her response was like, you mean like on a date? And I said yes, and she said... No,
2: And I just remember, like, my heart sinking because I was 23 at that point, and I'd only been in Austin for a little while, and I'd only been playing music for a little while, but I had already learned that, like, most men didn't really see you as a person. They saw you as, like, someone they could potentially sleep with. And if you were nice to men, they took that as a sign that, like, it's a green light. It's a go. And so I... I actually spent a lot of my time trying to um, to make sure that these relationships that I had with like men who played music could stay friendly, and so that we could continue to work together.
3: But Dave is still hoping for more. To me, I always re- equate it to the to Dumb and Dumber, where the guy says, "She says not one in a million chance," and he says, "So you're saying I got a chance?" <laughs>
2: So I thought, like, all I have to do is fend him off enough to show him that, like, we can be friends without him sleeping with me. And that was kind of my, that was my plan. And so it was like, hey, we can work together, we can hang out, we can go see music together like I do with my other friends, but we're not, the, the, like, you're never getting anything.
0: Eventually, Dave invites Elizabeth to an Asleep at the Wheel concert. She's never seen them play, so she goes. This kind of outing seems to work with her plan.
2: He picked me up to take me, and he said, you know, I have to get my glasses prescription filled first.
3: (laughs) I know how to show a girl a good time. (laughs) Did
0: did I mention I'm 40?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I have to get my bifocals prescription filled. (laughs)
0: They spend hours together driving to this gig. And the more they talk, the more Elizabeth begins to reconsider her initial assessment of Dave.
2: And then all of a sudden I saw this part of him that I hadn't seen before. Like, he wasn't particularly trying to impress me or woo me or, like, say anything smart. He was just talking about who he was and I, all of a sudden, I had thought that he was just like a slimy music business dude who wanted to, like, sleep with me, which we just heard was true. <laughs> but but there was also this part of him, like, he talked about—I think that might have been the first time that he told me about how he had gone to this school that had an honor code and how he had been on the honor board and and he had, like, cheated on a test but then told on himself. I mean, it. we just— I just started to see this part of him that was like, oh, he's not like a slimy, he's not all slimy music business dude. He's like kind of a stand-up guy, and he's smart, and he's funny. And that was the first time I remember thinking like, hmm.
0: This is where the gears shift in Dave and Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth realizes that Dave is a guy she would want to be with, so they start dating for real. They talk on the phone a lot. This is before texting was a thing. And they learn they're into the same
3: stuff. And and uh, we started talking on the phone. I remember talking about oh, yeah. the Hobbit, the Hobbit a lot. we were, I was reading The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or something, but I remember you saying, The Hobbits are in trouble. The Hobbits got out of, <laughs> yeah, out yeah, of trouble. The Hobbits are them, in yeah. the Hobbits are in trouble. You had already Fast forward some months later to
0: the moment Elizabeth realizes she's fallen in love with Dave. She's the first to say, I love you. You know, we were in the bedroom, it might
2: have been post Post-coital time. And I remember that, like, I knew I loved him because something happened. That we had call
3: never... it that, by the way. we, yeah, call, we it, call it post-co- post-coital, post-coital time. time.
2: Very formal. <laughs> we had just done it. Um, and I remember, like, the only thing that my brain could think was, like, tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Like, I was looking at him and I was like, "I like, it was the only thing my brain would allow me to think. So I finally was just like... I love you, and he was like, <laughs> he said, "What did you say? Like,
3: I don't remember. I like I... you, or
2: something like that." And <laughs> no, I was like, no, no, "Oh, no, no. Sh- what? <laughs> what did I
3: just do?" <laughs> I was I'm very hesitant to say I loved somebody because I'd probably only said that to like two people, and that freaked me out a little bit. But I I came around.
2: Yeah, I wasn't worried. I knew you loved me. Yeah. I was like, whatever. <laughs> like, you'll say it eventually. <laughs> Although I did not say it again until you yeah. said it. Because I was like, that sucked.
0: <laughs> Later, Elizabeth and Dave were visiting Dave's parents out in California.
2: We were walking, and the same thing happened, where it was like, ask him if he wants to marry you, ask him if he wants to marry you. And so I, I just said, like, have you ever thought about getting married? And he goes, yes. And I said, have you ever thought about marrying me?
0: We'll be back after a short break. Have you ever thought about marrying me? It's kind of like a bold question. I
2: mean, I think I just was like, fuck it. Like if I get a no, then I know, but like I had been I had been looking at you for a while and being like, I think I could totally do this with this. I think I could totally make a life with him. I think I could totally have kids with him. And so in that moment it just seemed like the right time and and luckily it was. And he goes, "Yes." And then he goes, oh, my God, I've never said that to anyone. It feels like my
3: arm should explode or something. <laughs> like I said my arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that part, but I do remember you saying that. And, and I remember just like literally like it's almost like you astral project or something. It's like you your body becomes kind of a weird, has this weird lightness to it or something. It's like, because you carried around this weight your entire life of how do you know? How do you, how are you going to know? How are you going to, what if it's the wrong one? What if you make the wrong decision? It's, It's all this angst and stuff. And then when you finally say and admit that's like, yes, I could marry you. Then it's almost like this, it's this lightness. All of a sudden I was just like, Oh, you know you know it's like it's you I felt like a completely different person, and that's kind of like when my new life started, that moment.
0: Here's why I think of this story when people ask, "How do you know? Most of the time, they're asking me how they know they can be sure they want to be with someone forever or they're asking how they can get a hesitant partner to commit. Elizabeth was someone who did always want to get married. Dave was a touring drummer who liked his life. I wondered, what was the thing that made him suddenly know he'd found the person he'd want to settle down with? I actually asked this question of Elizabeth at a party the night before her wedding. This is what she said Dave told her, that he felt about her the same way he felt about his house and his dog. And at the time, I was like, huh, that was not the romantic response I was hoping for. He just compared her to the dog. But now I think it was actually really honest and astute.
3: Because Dave was saying something else, which was much deeper. Uh, How can I say, well, my relationship with my dog was very close. It was like we we were a team, you know? And my house was like my best thing that I had, sort of achievement that I had done those two things were like the greatest things in my life and if I met a woman who's like fits in with that idea of, it's like I've lucked out I've lucked out because I found someone who fits me then it seems like it's a, a good. it's a good thing it's not the least romantic thing
0: <laughs> no you made it sound pretty romantic actually
2: yeah when you put it like that it, it sounds terribly romantic so well, <laughs> <you
3: know. laughs>
0: If you think about it, Dave was on the road a lot. When he saw his dog in his house, it meant he was home. That's how he felt around Elizabeth. That's how he knew. And that's why I tell a lot of people about Dave and Elizabeth's story. What's funny is that 15 years later, Dave and Elizabeth have no memory of him saying this. Elizabeth doesn't even remember the conversation we had before the wedding. But they do remember how they honor those early phone calls about The Hobbit
3: when they got married we had to decide on what kind of rings so i she got her engagement ring which is a legit ring and we said well let's let, let's get at the these are the days of of sky mall which is the magazine and the airlines and we flew we fl, fl, flew quite a bit and so we were familiar with the offerings in sky mall which they had the all the lord of the rings stuff mm-hmm. Where you could get like a sword, or you could get like a, a wand. an orc mask, or something, <laughs> and you could also get the rings of power. Is that what the rings of power, right? The
2: one ring to rule them all. Yeah, the one, it had elven, elvish, elvish. It. elvish.
3: We so don't... we
2: decided that rather than get the expensive gold rings, which right. were like three hundred bucks, right?
3: Like which, yeah, which
2: seemed like kind of a lot of money for a joke. For a joke. <laughs> That we thought it would be better to get the silver rings because, like, who cares? And yeah. also, it's They're funny. Like,
3: yeah, it's yeah, silver's funny. Gold is not funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, spending three hundred dollars on a joke is not funny. Spending seventy-five dollars on a joke yeah, is it's, very. That
3: gets hilarious. <laughs> so, so we got two rings of power. Two ru- two rings to rule them all. To rule them all. So we we put these rings on, and about two days later, our fingers were green. <laughs> So which means thus endeth the joke.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) For a while, Elizabeth actually joined Asleep at the Wheel. Then she and Dave had kids and they toured together for a few more years. Then she stopped touring. Every year has brought something new.
2: You're kind of always, like, deciding, like, is this still what I want to do? Do I still want to be here? And, like, every step of the way it's been like, yes, 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 yes. But um, I think once you commit to someone, then it's, then you have to just continually, like, check in with yourself. And, you know, the answer has always been yes
3: for me that's one of the ways I knew that she was the one is because I was able to uh, have a relationship with her and it didn't freak me out. and I was not ever bored. And still to this to this day, I have never been bored with Elizabeth McQueen.
0: And just to bring you up to date, Elizabeth now hosts KUTX Austin's podcast called This Song, where she interviews musicians. Dave is still in a sleep at the wheel, and the music continues. This song. Shame is written by Elizabeth McQueen and performed by her band, EMQ. Shouldn't
2: have held me close like that.
0: Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory, Linda Henry, and KUTX in Austin. My friend Sarah Faith Alterman produces the Boston shows of Mortified. She has a memoir coming out next year called Let's Never Talk About This Again. Our music is from APM. I am always trying to hear from listeners. Will you drop me a note? Tell me how you knew, or what you need to know. Email the team at loveletters at boston.com or find us on Twitter. You can use the hashtag loveletterspodcast. If you haven't done so, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're also now on Pandora, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at, love at show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.
2: We just need to get some room tone. Here we go. Okay.
3: Some sweet room tone.